the count of three, let's clap. One, two, three. Are you ready for this? I don't think so, yeah, but let's go ahead. Okay. I'm in <clears throat> Oakland, California. It's fall of 2009. I'm at CrossFit One World. That is the gym of Freddie Camacho is his name. I'm there for a tryout. I'm there to try out for being on seminar staff. Now, back in the day in CrossFit, that was called your level two. But at this, and I didn't realize it going into it, it's one day of instruction where you just get verbally accosted to let you know how terrible you are at coaching. And then the second day, it's an evaluation. I went into this after six months of being a CrossFit affiliate. And probably similar to most people, the level one experience was very impactful. And so right after doing the level one, I realized like, hey, I want to do that. So I'm in Oakland and I go through this first day and it's not going well. My sister lives in Palo Alto with her husband at the time. And because I was so confident about this going into it, we had scheduled to go to a Ben Folds 5 concert that night, Mm -hmm. one of my favorites. Absolutely. I get home after the first day, and I say, hey, I can't go. I got to study. CrossFit. And my (laughs) my sister's a little confused. She's like, okay, we're still going. And like it's the SAT the next day, I'm, I'm staying up late. I'm going over progressions. I'm thinking about what I'll say. And day two rolls around, and the mood is very different. It's me and 30 guys, and these people there, Nicole Carroll, Adrian Bosman, they've gone from this, you know, joking, familial um, attitude to this very strict evaluation. Get to the end of the day, and it's like, you ever seen the movie Flashdance? Probably not. Sure haven't. <laughs> At the end of the movie, there's a scene where it's these instructors, and they're sitting there with like their their notepads, and they're just writing notes. And I come in, and it's this very dramatic scene where one person comes out, and you look at this guy, and you can tell by the look on his face if he passed, and he'll be invited to be on seminar staff. Or they told him, hey, you need to do this again and come back to another seminar. Mm-hmm. There's people there from all over the world. There's four guys out of 30 that are from Australia. And each one of those guys that comes out, you look at him and the look on his face is like, you know, I didn't make it. Um, I go in there and, you know, with this whole buildup, it's like, I don't know if this is going to go well. And I get the nod. I get the nod. They say, we like what you got, kid, okay? We want to invite you out to be on similar staff, which was awkward because there were only two people out of that 30 that got invited, myself and a gentleman named Eric O'Connor. Hmm. And all they promised was, hey, if we need you, we'll call you. It was very informal at that time. Mm-hmm. A few weeks into the future, I get a call, and they say, hey, we just happen to be doing – a seminar in your backyard. Show up to the Dallas Police Academy, 8 a.m., and we'll tell you what to do then. And I show up. This is in December of 2009, December 2008. And 
I look to my right, and it's Jolie Gentry. The year before, she had won the CrossFit Games. No. Yeah. I look in the other direction. I meet a gentleman named Joe Alexander, former Navy SEAL. Hmm. And I'm surrounded. It's like... Um, it's like the scene of a movie where they bring together like this ragtag group of specialists and, you know, like their picture flashes on the screen and then it, it's like typed out below like what their specialties are. Oh, you were with the A-team. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It, it felt very much like that. And uh, all of that was a surprise to me. From there, at lunchtime, you got to realize that at this point in time, like we're – developing these workouts that will become staples. They'll become classics. They'll become benchmark workouts. Mm. And so every lunchtime workout was like a group of scientists getting together, potentially recombining these ingredients to to create a, a potent stimulus. I remember at that seminar, there was an obstacle course because it was at the police academy. And we did something where you had to crawl through a tunnel and then, like, do thrusters and then, like, do a rope climb. And it was incredible. And then these seminars, it was it was never the same. Each one was different. So you'd be tasked with uh, a lecture on nutrition, and this could go for 20 minutes. And you'd finish, and everyone would be like, is that it? And you're like, yeah, that's that's all I got. <laughs> and then uh, I remember seminars, we were going for like 90 minutes. But it, but every time, like the, the person giving the lecture was, was really skilled at what he was doing. Mm-hmm. And then the last part was that on the end of that first day, you knew that you were going to get into something fun. Mm-hmm. You got together with these people and, you know, there were weekends where it'd be a, a restaurant We'd go to, you know, some club where they only played records. There were seminars where I'd stay up all night long. Um, And so there were so many aspects of this that were um, exciting and really novel that it became something that, uh, man, I felt so honored to participate in. It felt so cool to, to get in to this, what I would say, like, really impressive group of people. But then you fast forward 11 years into the future, and Joe Alexander, who I met that weekend, is now my superior. He's now basically my boss. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting at the kitchen counter of my home, and I'm having a conversation with him on the phone, and the conversation is him asking me, hey, why, why are you not meeting the minimum work requirement here. Why are you not submitting these reports that you're supposed to be submitting? And in other words, why are you no longer fulfilling the roles and responsibilities of this job that you've had for so long? And as I look back, I realized that so what he said was, let's let's talk about transitioning to a, a, an alumni status. Let's talk about transitioning to a, to maybe a, a reserve mm. type role. And it was basically the the most gracious and gentle way that someone could have said, like, "Hey, man, you're fired." <laughs> yeah, yeah. What year was that? 18? This was no. This was uh, 
after COVID. So I had done, oh. I had done just a handful of seminars these last few years. Mm-hmm. And so I, I tell that story to show, one, that there was great enthusiasm, enthusiasm when I started. And then we got to this point where, where things were drastically different. And so the question is, well, what happened in between? And it's the reason that we're, we're getting together today. Mm. Now, some of the things that happened in between is that it went from this exciting exploration to something that was very established. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that's all good, right? I think any company, CrossFit especially, you develop systems. You figure out what works, what doesn't work. There was a rule that was established that you couldn't jack yourself up so bad during the lunchtime workout that you couldn't actually perform your duties in the afternoon. That rule didn't come out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. It, it happened because so many times somebody had to like take a knee in the breakout presses oh group, you know, or like they're giving a lecture and it's like this guy, this guy's like fumbling over his words. It's like he's still he's still messed up. Yeah. All that I don't think is really the point. And I don't want to blame the development of these seminars as the reason that I fell out of love with it. What I believe is that I got two things. Other priorities. It got to a point where I realized I was one of the few that actually owned an affiliate that was still doing these seminars on the weekend. Most people had transitioned to this full time. Also, the stages of my life changed. Mm-hmm. I was married with no children when I started this. And then by the end, things looked a lot different. Mm-hmm. Three kids leaving for a weekend had a much different connotation. But the thing that made it really hard to exit gracefully from this when I should have is because I had gotten really good at these seminars. Mm. I had gone from just being a bro that was excited to be there to the equivalent of, of like a, a, a Shakespearean actor who for his 1,000th performance doesn't really have to prepare for it. Mm-hmm. I would just drink a lot of coffee. I had the lectures memorized. Roll up on your ruckus. And I knew... I knew that if I was caffeinated enough and just excited enough to be there, I could, let's be honest, I could slay. I saw it happen. It's true. Some of the, some of the content. Yeah. And furthermore, why it made it difficult, and this is just me being completely honest, I would give a lecture and someone would come up to me and say, that was the best bit of nutrition advice I've ever received. Thank you so much. Mm. And if I'm honest, that felt really good. My colleagues who I respected, who I learned this material from, would come up to me after the fact and they'd say, that was, that was the most enjoyable lecture I've ever heard. And that felt really good. Mm. And so this thing developed where if it was a slot machine, every time I pulled the lever, I would get a payout. And so it was really hard for me to move on from that. It was really hard for me to tell myself that I could get that hit Mm -hmm. 
on another slot machine. Mm-hmm. And so as I look back, what I did, given the fact that my life was incongruent to continue with this, but I was still getting so much out of it, is I sabotaged myself. I basically didn't meet the minimum work requirement. I wouldn't submit reports on time as a way, I think subconsciously, to take myself out of the running of this thing that I didn't have any business doing, but I still felt so good doing it. Mm -hmm. And so on the note, I, I think we can we can transition into the topic of choice today. And it's this, when you suck at something, it's very easy to quit. Mm-hmm. When you've gotten any type of payout, and we could define that in lots of different ways, it's much harder to move on. And so today I think that it would be a very valuable conversation for us to talk about burnout, for us to talk about in the context of fitness and even the applications of fitness such as sport or anything that you would want to compete in, how to evaluate when the time is right to move on. And so with that as a, what we call a, a hot opening in the biz, I just wanna say what an honor it is to be sitting here with you. I'm here with my friend and fellow colleague, Chad. Cackard. Yeah. Welcome. Thanks for having me. And I'll tell you what, this is uh this is an interesting topic because um so the audience knows last weekend I was competing at semifinals and truth be told, before those workouts even started, I I was really excited to do them. I was really excited, honored to be there. I worked hard for it. I couldn't wait for it to be over. And I and I just say that because I was so tired. <laughs> I was just so tired. Um, on the verge of burnout, um, I said beforehand going in, like, this is the least fit I've been in the last four and a half months. Mm. And I'm about to compete on the biggest stage I have really in my life just because the competition just keeps excelling or accelerating mm-hmm. um, or both. Um but uh, it's it just takes so much to compete at that level, and you want to do well, and now it's broadcasted, and but at the same time it's just like all right, final push, and then I'm gonna take a breather, and then reevaluate if this is something that I even want to do, and so this being the topic today, where like I got back yesterday after essentially a week off, um, hopped in the 6:30 class, took it easy, took the 7:30 a.m. this morning, took it easy thinking about training again this afternoon, taking it easy, but it's like I'm right back into this rhythm of mm. let's keep doing this thing because the one hand, yeah, I'm tired, but I can also move forward um, with an easy pace and just kind of reset a foundation without my life being flipped upside down into some new direction. I don't know which way it would go yet. Mm-hmm. So I'm intrigued about how this conversation experiment, if you will, is going to go. Yeah, and of the few podcasts that we've done so far, there's some, there's some preparation, there's some planning, there's some dialogue that we'll have back and forth. So it's all killer and no filler. We switch that up a little bit today that we're coming in blind with, yes, you as a fitness professional that has several years of coaching other people, but also 
as an athlete yourself that I would say has been competing nonstop mm-hmm. for how many years? I'm 36. And so, when would you say you started competing? Nine months before that. <laughs> I won that race. I made it. <laughs> um, but yeah, truthfully, as, as soon as there was something to compete at, I, I did it. Like I remember, uh, you know, if it was recess, if it was Red Rover, if it was, you know, baseball, PE, anything, even if the competition was, let's see how not serious we can take PE, I would win that. Mm -hmm. And we got a lot of teachers fired, but (laughs) 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 Um, yeah, I mean, I've been, I've been competing ever since, and I don't know how not to, Hmm. Um, when you asked me to look in the future, you know, when you're an old man and when you were to tell your friends, kids, grandkids, what your life was like, how you transitioned out of competition. My first thought was, well, no, I didn't. I just found different things to compete at that maybe suited my life or brought benefit to the people around me as mm-hmm. well. Yeah, so we're we're going to get there mm-hmm. where I, I've asked Chad to go through a, a process that that we'll do quite often with our own clients, but I don't know. It's like a magic trick. I don't know what the story is. And so at the end, we'll, we'll go through that and we'll, we'll switch gears instead of talking as, as colleagues, we'll actually role play and, and we'll, we'll pretend, so to speak, that I'm in the role of a guide mm. and, and you're in the role of a participant. But before we get there, I do think it's always helpful for me to, to talk about what some of these terms actually mean. Because, you know, you can use a word like burnout or, you know, or, or, or transitioning. And that can mean different words to, to different people. So when we say burnout, a great street version of that, you know, clinical definition would be that you're feeling overwhelmed. And at the same time, like there's nothing you can do that could meet the standard of what you want to participate in. Mm. And so it's this, it's this purgatory, it's this place of being, and, and it's, it's important to make a distinction that it doesn't mean that you can't perform, right? Not performing is like, you know, clinical pathology where it's like, I, I can't go to my job. I can't participate in the sport. I think what makes us so hard is that you still can perform and quite often very well, but the repercussions of that are hard to handle. For females, uh, a good way to say this is that you are experiencing this uh, um, emotional exhaustion. And a lot of times as we talk to um, women, what we what we start to hear, and as coaches, this is what you want to pick up on, is that they are caring too much for too long about something. Mm-hmm. And it comes out in the way that they talk. It comes out in the stories that they tell. It comes out in the words that they choose to say. And if we're talking about competition, well, that could come out in, in just stories of 
being really tired to to get up and to do this thing once again. But I think you could probably hear those stories in the way that they approach weight loss, the way that they approach just general performance goals for health. For men, on the other hand, a lot of times it comes down to a uh, what they call a depersonalization. And here's the interesting part. It means that there is a depletion of caring, empathy, and even compassion, not necessarily in the job that they're tasked to do or the sport that they're playing, but it bleeds over into other areas of their life. And so if you're listening to this and those things you feel like represent you, well, it it just means that there's an overwhelming amount of pressure that you've put on yourself for this one particular thing. And oftentimes it's it's found or it shows up not in that thing, but in the other areas. So, you know, I think that's a good place to to start. So as we talk about this, it's clear what we mean by that. I didn't make any of that stuff up. There's a gentleman called uh, Herbert Freudenberger, Freudenberger, who is like the I mean, he's the dude that that basically like came up with all this stuff, and it hasn't been around for a really long time. He, mm-hmm. he, this is totally a tangent; has nothing to do with sport. But he originally was just talking about this in the workplace, or if you're a caregiver, how it's very easy to burn out, which could probably be another episode where we just talk about being burnout as a coach. Mm. Um, but I think these concepts can be expanded into sport; they can be expanded into practically anything that you care about. What do you have to say about that? I mean, I had I had some lights going off with that, with those conversations there about um, how it bleeds into the other things, and you know, I've I've had a lot of these thoughts, so I, I understand what you're saying. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm looking forward to seeing where this goes. <laughs> so you know, if you're listening to this and you're a coach, you want to just be aware when. Primarily, these things are presented to you in conversation, even when they're not talking about it directly. But you know, the way that guys speak is typically indirectly. They they won't they won't ever admit that they're burned out of the thing. But if you're if you're attentive enough, you'll see that the other things that you know they also care about are potentially falling by the wayside. Now. That's cute and fun to talk about, but what we want to discuss is what do you do? How might you prevent burnout? And I've seen you do some of these things over the years, because how long have we worked together? Coming up on six. Coming up on six years. And so Chad has, ever since we worked together, done a, a wonderful job of going from entering a new decade of life, transitioning into a new sport. So when we first met, you were you were really just getting into um, transitioning from competitive football, professional football, mm-hmm. into CrossFit. And I've seen you tackle some of these things um, and handle them very well as a way to extend this longer and longer. And so... It, if you find that you're in this place, you find that your client is in this place, one of the first things you can do 
is figure out, okay, what can I control and what can I not control? Whatever those things are, the things that you can't control, and typically this is looking back uh, retrospectively, you want to do what's called a, a positive or a cognitive reappraisal. And that means that it, you're not going to um, roll a turd in glitter and say that it doesn't smell and that it was awesome. But the experiences that you've had that you can't do anything about, you do want to try to forge great meaning mm. into those. And I've seen you do that. There's a few times that you've competed and in wonderfully so, the story that you come back and tell about that isn't one of, and this is regardless of how you placed, whether you won the thing or um, you fell short of first place. Mm -hmm. There's always a, a wonderfully metaphorical and moral story that you've attached to it. Do you realize that you do that? I I try to be intentional about finding something more than just a physical result. Mm -hmm. I think that thing, whether you realize it or not, is something that has allowed you to keep doing this probably over a lifetime, mm -hmm. right? Because you can only win so many times. Right. And like the story you told last time, there were some great lessons that came that had nothing to do with the scoreboard. It had nothing to do with you winning or with you losing. Mm-hmm. Any come to mind in particular? Oh, well, I mean, even just this last weekend, um, I explained this to my buddy. It was like, imagine if you booked your trip to the Maldives to surf and it was just your dream vacation. You trained for it. You prepped for it. You got all the right gear. You got out in the water. Is this the guy that says a stealth mission is a weekend surf trip or like when you go out of town? Uh, we're in the same okay. circle. Okay. And I was like, just imagine if you take that trip and you just didn't catch a single wave. Like you went there to do that, to, you know, put your training to practice, to enjoy it in some exotic place. And you just didn't get up on a single wave. Like that's what event two felt like for me. Mm. Like I've seen this go better. And I'm not normally in a position where things don't go to expectations. Like, I trained that workout and was able to get through it. And, like, I knew my score, where where I would have got. Mm -hmm. But um, when I was in the middle of that workout, I'm sitting there failing reps, attempt after attempt. I don't know what's happening. And I know that there's, you know, there's the devil on my shoulder that's like, make sure everyone knows how pissed you are. <laughs> you know, like, make sure that do something that explains that you can do this, just not right now for some reason. <laughs> you know what I mean? And on the other hand, um, I have to say like, hey, I came here to have fun. Something's not going my way. What kind of character do I have? God, if so I, good. And this is all happening, and it's just kind of like, I should smile. And then I kind of look up. I was like, I don't feel like it. But I'll just stay focused on what I'm doing. I'll look at my fans and, or my family and make sure they're not – crying or worried about me <laughs> just kind of like wave at them and um that's how that went and i saw boz on the way out who wrote the workouts and i said that was a great test and i wanted to put my head in a corner and i wanted to be alone for a little while mm. 
Um, instead, I just walked backwards on an air runner and just kind of thought about it for a little bit. And I was like, you know what? Just that- moonwalking on an air yeah. runner. And the the thought I came to was, it's been a long time since I've, like, and my first thought was, this is silly. It's just competitive exercise. What's the big deal? It's just a pride thing. It's just because this is on TV. You know people are watching, and you didn't do well, and that's frustrating for you. But on the other hand, it was like, it's been a long time since I've put effort into something, and it didn't go anywhere close to the way I thought it was going to go. And... uh, and it's just a reminder, like it's so easy to forget this, especially it's really easy to say right now whenever there's nothing on the line. Hey, man, adversity is going to make you stronger. It's going to build your character. But I remember sitting there being like, oh, I haven't been this frustrated with something for myself in a long time. Mm-hmm. This is good. This is good to be frustrated. Mm. And I don't know if that's going to... Um, come to fruition in the way I train for the next competition or if it's just going to be a reminder that like hey maybe I'm a little quicker now to see the benefit or at least understand hey this is hard it's good to be frustrated because that's going to catapult you somewhere rather than just come up with a list of excuses on why the competition didn't go your way yeah that's so good I I want to deconstruct that a little bit because you in there, you said so many things that I think people can learn from, not even necessarily to do with athletics or competition. And so it, when we feel, I wish there was a better word than overwhelmed, but let's just say that, right? When something's happening that makes us feel overwhelmed, we have the ability to reappraise what it is that we're experiencing, and you, you did that, right? Mm-hmm. We have the ability to, to plan differently. Sometimes that's right in the moment. Hey, I have the strategy within this thing that I'm competing in. This isn't working. I have to change it. Here's a great example. Okay, my hip hurts. I can't do a full squat snatch, so I'm going to have to do a... I scaled a workout in a semifinal, essentially. That's yeah. how it feels. I did a split snatch. Did a split snatch. And you had to come up with that in real time as a way to, to continue. Right. And there's, there's, that's a skill, man. That's a skill that I don't, I don't know if you appreciate, but what you just said, there's, there's books that instruct people how to do something that you just basically figured out like on the spot. Hmm. So those, those two ways of, of planning, and then reappraisal, they're great ways to recalibrate um, effort. And some yeah. of that's around things that you can control and things that you can't control. Mm-hmm. Hey, I can't, I can't do a full squat snatch. It's out of my control. Here's what I can do. Mm-hmm. Secondly, is it's redefining the expectations that you have. You said a few things in there that you, ha- you, you in the moment, redefined what it meant to win. Mm-hmm. without a lot of thought, most of the time people say, well, I need to get first place in order for me to win. Mm-hmm. But I've heard you say over and over again, hey, the win is to be able to to do this. It's to be able to show up and have fun. Mm-hmm. It's to be able to show up and to show people that my identity isn't based on this alone, but I've been given this gift, and so I want to show people that there's a different way to navigate this mm-hmm. And the the scoreboard doesn't mean anything. That is this thing, right? It's it's recalibrating what it means to win. 
And then secondly, as we're, we're thinking about the expectations of what we're doing, it's also recalibrating what it means to fail. Mm-hmm. And you said that as well. Like, hey, if I, if I were to go and sulk in the corner, like that's a fail. But me deciding to immediately disrupt that pattern, moonwalk on the air runner, mm-hmm. that's saying like, hey, this thing that I said was ultimate failure, I've now avoided that. So I hope that those four criteria are are helpful for us as facilitators. These are easy questions that you can ask clients. Hey, as you're going into this thing, what does it really mean for you to win? What's a what's a win for you? And you can you can premeditate on that. Hey, what does it really mean to lose here? Mm-hmm. Does does getting last place really mean that you lost? And these are big, you know, more or less like existential questions, but it's a way, because ultimately, most of the time, we're going to fail, right? Most of the time, we're not going to be the clear-cut winners. Mm -hmm. But if, if experience is based on that binary code, we're going to be really disappointed a lot of times, right? But this thing that we're talking about, it's human experience and deriving meaning. It's not black and white, and it is relative. And I think you've done a really great job of that by expanding probably over a lifetime what it means to to win, what it means to lose, and how you might find some great satisfaction despite those those ultimate metrics. Mm-hmm. What do you think about that? I mean, similar to the the conversation we had last time I was here. When there's when there's stakes involved, when there's a a cut, when there's a clear performance marker of failure or of not winning. You know, like the first time I had a big competition was TFX in 2018. Um, and I got 11th place, and they made the cut for the top 10 in the final event. And I remember just, like, sitting there by the crowds. Like, if someone had to leave and can't be here for this, I'm going to jump in. Like, But I wanted to be in that last workout so bad. And if that's not there, there might not be much ambition to try to do something else. If you get through the CrossFit Open and you did the whole work, the whole thing as prescribed, but one workout was an absolute blow up, that athlete is unlikely to just give up on competitive fitness where it was like that one thing I can focus on and improve. Next year will be way different. It gives them something to look forward to um, as opposed to like, hey, everybody here's your free trophy what what does that person have to work for mm-hmm. so there's an aspect of um it doesn't have to be competitive but there ha- I, th- I think when you have an aspect of am i improving is there somewhere where i can do better and are there stakes involved and that person has um i think just a natural push for their ambition to do better yeah and I don't think that happens without there being a, what do you see as a win? What do you see as a loss here? Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome, man. 
And so I think there's lots of things we can do to change the perspective that we have on this. Mm -hmm. But there will come a point where circumstances, like the story I told at the beginning, tell us if we're really paying attention, hey, it's time to move on. Mm -hmm. this, this was wonderful. We honor this experience. It's great. But we've gone through all those protocols mm -hmm. of preventing burnout. And yet we're at this place where now it feels, it feels incongruent with the rest of our life. This is where we have to decide, hey, is it time to quit? Is it time to move on? Now, this is, a, this is something that I have struggled with. I told you one story. I got 15 stories mm -hmm. where I have taken something too far because I've told myself that it's, it means I'm a failure if I quit something. That's that's the hook line right there too. Yeah, yeah. it's not just the, oh this little thing I I I teased it out and I figured all this stuff out and so now it's time to move on. It's 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 bigger than that. It's I have weakness. I'm a failure. Uh, I didn't fight hard enough. I didn't believe. And those lies right there have caused. Lots of pain. Yeah. They've caused me to take my eye off of the ball of things that really mattered. Yeah. My wife, my family. And here's why. So I thought about this. I tell myself that if I'm pulling this slot machine mm -hmm. and it's giving me a payout, I've told myself none of these other slot machines in this sea of a casino mm -hmm. are going to have the same percentage. There's no way that these things, and they're good things that I love from this, that mm -hmm. there's no way that I could get those in any other way. Mm -hmm. And so another way of saying that is I've told myself that the resources are very scarce outside of this one experience. And so I asked Chad ahead of time to write out the story of what it might look like for him to transition out of competitive fitness. And without any spoilers, I want you to read that story. If you don't mind, if you're, if you're open for it, if yeah. you're available. Yeah. Um, I'm going to read the story. <laughs> But I don't think it's going to be anything you were expecting. <laughs> okay. Um, I really just put myself in, a, in my shoes as an old man. That's great. So we'll just say this was like decades after I stopped doing competitive fitness. I don't know what else I'm doing, but I just tried to put myself on the other side. The ultimate guide. Like if I could be the wise old man... These are the shoes I'd be in. Awesome. You want me to read this word for word or it's not too long? Yeah, read it word for word. All right. I haven't read this since I wrote it last night. Here we Good. go. Even better. Okay. 
My grandson and I were taking one of our annual trips to a hidden lake in central California. The lake was hidden by dozens of tree species, giving it its unique smell, which was my trick for finding it. A combination of palm, pine, maple, oak, and hickory is what gave it away. It was in the mid-2050s when you could still spot the rare wild eagles in their natural habitat. My grandson especially loved the way the wind jumped over the mountain peaks and danced through the trees. We'd sometimes fish, we'd sometimes skip rocks or build our own fires, but we would always talk. My grandson carried the family trait of curiosity. He loved to learn and wasn't afraid to ask questions. For a young teenager, he was a great conversationalist. He was curious this trip about why most of his friend's grandparents were in homes or being helped around everywhere while I had no problem going about life like any of their fathers. They all say it's just part of getting older, but you're older than most of them. What did you do that they didn't? I answered him, I did what was necessary. And what's necessary is training your mind and your body in that order. You can have a strong body, but a weak mind makes it reckless. You can have a strong mind, but with a weak body, it's subject to manipulation. The mind has the final say but a weak body can influence it and wear it down. Yet a strong mind can still overcome this. You must train the mind first, and you must understand that a strong mind that controls a strong body creates its own path. You've seen the trees, the birds, and the lake. They all hold beauty in their own regard. But when the wind blows through them, the combination can strike awe. The bird can hold steady, motionless in the breeze as it hunts. The trees wave and sing songs, and the smell intensifies and can take you places. The water laps and whitecaps jump wild enough to move the boat we sit in. What you see is the image, the physical, but the true power behind it is the wind. The power behind your strength and your image is your mind. It's hard to see in this world where the physical image, rather than wisdom and prowess, influences status, but eventually true images revealed. Wonderful. Thank you. The question I have for you. Yeah. What does it make you feel when you wrote that? What does it make you feel now that you've read it? First, it establishes a, um, it establishes a, a system, a way to think. Um, a line of action where what we do in the gym is much more meaningful if there's more purpose behind it, like training your mind. Um, even as I wrote this last night and reflect on last weekend and all the physical stuff I've done with my life, what I would really put um, in the category of a loss is if I'd have excuse my French, if I'd have lost my shit, mm. that would have been a loss. Mm. If I'd have thrown a fit, if I would have just shown everyone that like I care too much about this physical performance that I'm willing to make myself look like a fool, that's a loss. Mm. And I'm grateful I didn't have to do that because mm -hmm. I, I got tested. Um, but, it, but after writing that, it kind of holds me to a standard of, I, I know this to be true, Am I following through with it? Scale of one to 10, 
10 being very high emotional charge, one being I feel nothing. What's your number? When reading that story, mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's an eight plus. Hmm. Where do you feel it in your body? Mm. I feel it around my eyes. Um, I think that I think my love language, that's a thing, apparently, is uh, sure. <laughs> there's books about it. Um, but if I had to pick one, it's words of affirmation. Mm. And so when I speak um, something that is meaningful to me, especially if like I can put myself in a scenario where like I don't even know what it's like to have a kid. I have a nephew and a dog. That's as close as I've got. But to like think of having a grandson and being able to like impart knowledge on him um, and be the wise old man, that that gets me pretty fired up. And that, that I feel a little closer to the chest. Mm. I want you to read not the whole thing. Yep. But there's one paragraph in there. Yeah. May I? Yeah. The paragraph I want you to read is, I did what was necessary. Okay. And I want you to read it at about 70% of the speed that you read it at before. Just that one paragraph. I'm going to slow it down. I'm going to slow it down. I did what was necessary. And what's necessary is training your mind and your body in that order. You can have a strong body, but a weak mind makes it reckless. You can have a strong mind, but with a weak body, it's subject to manipulation. The mind has the final say, but a weak body can influence it and wear it down. Yet a strong mind can still overcome this. You must train the mind first, and you must understand that a strong mind that controls a strong body creates its own path. Hmm. When you slowed it down, mm-hmm. what feelings, emotions, thoughts came from that? Well, first I felt like it was a little easier to follow. There's a lot of layers there um, with the way that's unpacked. But the feeling or emotion behind really digesting those words, um, I would say it's a, it's a calmness. Hmm. It kind of it feels like it takes the pressure off. Hmm. Um, the metric is no longer about performance. It's about learning. Scale of 1 to 10, 10 being very intense, 1 being low, what's your number now? If I was at an 8.2, I'm at an 8.5. Where do you feel it now? In the back of my shoulders. Hmm. Yeah. Is that changing my posture? There's no wrong answer here. (laughs) We're going to read it one more time. Just that one paragraph. That one paragraph. All right. And each period, I want you to take a big breath in and a big breath out. All right. I did what was necessary. I'll breathe with you. (laughs) There it goes. What's necessary is training your mind and body in that order. You can have a strong body, but a weak mind makes it reckless. You can have a strong mind, but with a weak body, it's subject to manipulation. 
The mind has the final say, but a weak body can influence it and wear it down. Yet a strong mind can still overcome this. You must train the mind first, and you must understand that a strong mind that controls a strong body creates its own path. Beautiful. Slowing it down, getting the breath in there, mm-hmm. making it more of a full body experience. Any clarity, any thoughts, feelings, emotions. You can do no wrong by me. Not yet. And it could be the environment we're in where I could see if this were a practice, whether it's just one-on-one or if this was a solo practice at home. Um, I feel like my mind might be able to venture off a little bit. That's great. Um, and maybe maybe that venture would go towards uh, realigning priorities. Um, like if this is something I envision in my future, there's there's a lot to unpack there. Like that old man has such a connection in nature that he can smell a, a location that can't be found on a map just because of the rare combination of trees. So that man's been outside. Um, that man's also started a family mm. that has started a family. Um, and if that's really what I envision, there's nothing about that physical except for this man is still capable and is not in a, he's not being pushed around in a wheelchair despite the injuries, despite the long list of, you know, physical adversities in mm-hmm. his life. Um, this man also has time to spend with his grandson one-on-one. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of helped me unpack what else I might've thought of on my own is um, if I were to realign my priorities, how do I make time for things that develop those skills? And I, and I might be fair to say that being able to spend time outside of a work environment is a skill. Might be. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for sharing. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for making me do that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, thanks for asking me yeah. to do it. Well, we'll give you a little chance to breathe because I know that is weird having cameras on to share that and to deconstruct that process that we just went through. It's mm-hmm. a combination of several things. There's a therapy practice called EMDR, stands for Eye Movement Deconstruction Rehabilitation. It's taking a story, it's doing something with your eyes that typically has something that's very close and very emotionally charged in creating space and distance. That specific protocol is from a wonderful human being called Mark England that takes stories and through writing them down, slows it down. Mm -hmm. Through slowing it down, it further creates physical distance away from that thing. Mm -hmm. And by adding the breath in there, it just further accentuates that. Why do we need that? Well, so we can make observations about something that one, we possibly in the case of this future, you know, hypothetical, we may never thought of. Mm -hmm. 
You can do this with things that are happening to you right now. You can do this in the the real, I think, juice is looking back in stories that have a really strong emotional charge mm-hmm. um, from, you know, little things that have happened all the way to like, you know, big T traumas that have happened. So this process and the the feedback that you give me asking those three questions of, hey, what are you feeling? What's your number? And where do you feel it? Are just ways for us to start to connect our whole physiology to this. <clears throat> and like a great game of improv, I'll never say anything in that process to discount anything that you say. Mm-hmm. So it's always yes and, mm-hmm. you know. I, I can't think of anything. Yes and. Mm-hmm. I thought of this. Yes and. Oh, the story's not really about um, competing. Yes and, right? There's no, there's no wrong moves here. Mm-hmm. And I feel like we don't give ourselves that opportunity very often just to sit with something. Now, that may not make for great television, but in the art of coaching, that's a skill that I think everybody needs to get good at. It's just being able to sit with somebody, not necessarily have the answers. I haven't said anything in that process that's informative or educational, but I've learned a lot by you just sharing that story. Mm-hmm. Would you like to hear some of the things that I wrote down? Yeah, but before you do, I also feel like if, if we were to cut right now and be like, hey, that's our time, I'll shake your hand and leave. Like, man, Spencer's really good at helping me discover what's important. And like, you didn't say anything. <laughs> didn't, didn't say a single thing. That's yeah. great, man. You know, and I, I think that's redefining what it means to be a coach, right? It's yeah. like, oh, I didn't have some magical answer for you. I just asked some good questions. Yeah. Questions pull, answers, answers push. push. Yep. But some things that um, we can we can wrap up with is I heard you say that there's a standard that you want to live your life by. Mm-hmm. I heard you say that these these words of affirmation, the ones that you want to hear, isn't that you were this Adonis of athletics, but that you were an effective guide for people, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I didn't tell you that you had to write a story about you talking to your grandson. Right. I didn't say anything or give you any direction about including those things that were really important to you. Mm-hmm. Um, it also stuck out to me that a lot of this is training your mind in addition to your body, that what's important to you is composure and what's important to you is being tested. Mm. And so the question I have for you is, do you need to compete as a CrossFit athlete to accomplish all of those things? No. Is it okay for you to continue to compete as a CrossFit athlete so you can scratch all of those itches? Sure. Yes. Ladies and gentlemen, There's four additional questions if you would want to take somebody through this process that I think are really valuable, and this is what we'll end with. The question number one that we've already asked are what are the benefits of continuing this activity? What are the benefits that we get out of continuing to compete, continuing to be on seminar staff, continuing to fill in the blank? And off the top of your head, what are some of the benefits that you get We've said some of those words already, but rapid fire, what are some of those things? One of the first things that come to mind is 
travel experience. Hmm. Um, luckily, I've been able to go to Australia and Argentina and see places I never would have if I was not crossfitting. Is, is there ways I could have gotten to those locations? Otherwise, sure. But the way they worked out, I wouldn't have them any other way. Mm. Um, this last weekend, I got to have my mom and dad together and um, people I care about from Canada came to visit and I got to see friends that stepped into my world for a little bit that may not know a lot about what I do all the time. Um, so really, it's a lot of experience that I get out of it um, that, you know, if I weren't so fit, there's other ways to do that. But I enjoy being able to, like, put myself on a stage, be forced to perform, um, not forced to, but mm -hmm. get to put on display the training I do. Where if I wasn't so fit, there'd be other ways to do it. You know, it might be a fly fishing trip in Montana with the guys. It might be <laughs> uh, white water rafting or like just learning to do something new. And that's a lot of why I do this is because coming out of football, I didn't know how to snatch. I didn't know how to pace workouts. <laughs> like all I've done was sprinted and lift heavy and try to not get hit by people. Um, and so there was always, just like you were saying, there was this novelty. There was always something to learn. And uh, now at this point, it's like I've learned all the tricks. Um, and I can adapt pretty quickly if they change the rules of the game or the tricks. Um, but eventually, you're going to get this urge to learn something new. Mm -hmm. And I I think, you know, I'm making this discovery right now as we're speaking. I think Amazing. that, that the, uh, the next step is when I, I feel like I've checked the box yeah. of, all right, have I, have I become a competent fitness athlete? Yeah. Can I let go of maybe those one rep maxes and maybe not ever achieving more in this movement or that? If it's at the cost of not learning something else, I can let go of it. Mm -hmm. What that next thing is, I don't know. So I'm going to keep grinding and keep enjoying the journey. Like I've got NorCal Classic in September where my dad will be. It's going to be a good time. Like I'm looking forward to those things. But once I find the, the next thing to learn that becomes more important, or even just more entertaining. And I think that's an okay thing. Mm -hmm. um, then I'll be okay hanging up the pads, for lack of a better term. The words I, I heard for the benefits of continuing are the travel experience, mm -hmm. family, mm -hmm. friends, performance. You're a, you're a kinetic thespian, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> You 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 do really well. I've seen this. You do really well when the stakes are high. You do mm -hmm. really well when there's people that are judging you, and that's pretty uncommon. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say I'm one of those people. Can I put that on my business card? Kinetic sure. thespian. Yeah, yeah. Okay. you heard it right here. Uh, there's there's an entertainment aspect. There's a novelty aspect. There's a mm -hmm. learning aspect. Yeah. And so the next question. And you don't have to necessarily answer unless you have something just right on the cusp. But are there viable alternatives? And you've already said a few. Mm -hmm. Are there viable alternatives where you could experience all those things outside of competitive CrossFit? Absolutely. 
Yeah, I think that's just normal life. <laughs> but I, w- I would want to add stakes. And that mm-hmm. goes back to like the Masogi thing yeah. that we're talking about. So there you go. So there you go. Yeah, so these, these four questions are, what are the benefits of continuing this thing? Mm-hmm. Number two, what are some viable alternatives that could still check the box? And we've already said this, but question three is, what are the ways that we can link that to things that you care about? And so if we can come up with Masogis, if we can come up with experiences that include family, include friends, include travel, include novelty, include entertainment, include the ability to perform, then as we're pulling that slot machine, what we've done Mm -hmm. is we've created a very rich bit of resources outside of this one thing where we say, oh, you know what, this isn't the only way Mm-hmm. that I can fulfill those things that are really important to me. Yeah. Hey, look at all these other slot machines that I should probably go pull mm-hmm. and see see what happens. This thing we're talking about, we didn't make up. In psychology, it's called explore versus exploit. Hmm. Explore is I'm going to go try some new things for a lot of the reasons that you described because it could potentially be the next thing that's awesome. Mm -hmm. What are we doing right now? It is the thing that I have explored to scratch the itch from seminar staff. Mm -hmm. At that time, I had no concept that I could do something like this that would would scratch all those itches of delivering a lecture, Mm -hmm. of helping people, of speaking into things that I'm really passionate about, and voila. Yeah. someone had put this in the process that we're going through years ago for me, I probably would have gracefully exited years earlier. Mm -hmm. And so I think those three questions are really powerful because it, it changes the landscape of what's out there. Benefits of continuing alternatives that provide those benefits links to what was that one? Things that matter. And, And you did a great job of saying those off the bat. Okay. And then the last question, and I think it's good to go in this order because we don't want to lead with feelings of failure, of shame, mm-hmm. of um, regret, which is one of the hard parts of this, right? Why do we not go into something else? Because we think we'll regret not doing the thing that we're currently doing. Yeah, or you don't want to feel like you quit something. Exactly. And this last question is what is the cost of continuing? What are the drawbacks? And that question typically brings up all the reasons that you're not having a great time with yeah. what you're currently doing. Oh, training four hours a day isn't fun? <laughs> he, he said it, not me, ladies and gentlemen. He said it. <laughs> Feeling like you don't have enough time to do your job isn't fun? That's, that's a cost. Yeah. So B-A-L-C, benefits, alternative, links to things that matter, and the cost of continuing. Yeah, and as guy, you're listening to this and you want to take yourself through this process, you'll know it's time to move on if the costs outweigh the benefits. Mm-hmm. If you can't come up with a lot of viable alternatives, it probably means that from a behavioral standpoint, you're not going to change. If there doesn't seem like there's anything good enough out there for you to move on and explore, you're probably going to stick with what you got. But if you can decide like, oh my gosh, there's a million ways that I could scratch all these itches 
in, oh yeah, this thing is costing me quite a lot and it's actually preventing me from exploring some things that are really important to me, like things that you and I have talked about, then it makes this decision process not really about you being a failure, not really about you not believing enough. It's just like, hey, I, I took this as far as I need to, and now I'm ready to go explore the next thing. Mm-hmm. And I think that's probably a great place to land, to land the plane. Absolutely. Any final thoughts? This was great. Thanks for letting me be the guinea pig or the the demo guy of the process because it was actually like I, I had an idea what was coming, and it's still really helpful. Well, thanks for being so brave to do that. Absolutely. I got to say, I love you, man. Love you too, man. Ah, this is great. Thank you for, for your, your vulnerability, your honesty. And thank you guys for, for listening and allowing us to, to deconstruct a process that typically just happens behind closed doors around here. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> <laughs>